Hey, welcome to the Best Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Fennessy, and I'm joined by Master Anna Planner, Donna Schumar. During this podcast journey, we hope to explore high-level Anaplan modeling concepts and connect you, the listener, with the expert Anaplanners that are at the forefront of the platform's innovation. Stay tuned for thought-provoking conversations with our amazing guests. We plan to feature guests that span multiple industries, such as retail, finance, supply chain, sales, and many others, as well as bringing in pioneers in advanced data modeling and data integrations. Our goal is to provide our audience with as much free knowledge, value, and insights into the ecosystem. So we hope you join us in that mission. Welcome back to the Best Practice Podcast. My name is John Furneaux, filling in for Zach Fennessy, who is your typical host. We have a very special guest with us today. He goes by the name of Nathan Price. Nathan, you want to give a quick introduction into uh, how you got into Anaplan and maybe a little bit before that as well? Uh, sure thing. Well, I used to work for uh, Compaq and HP um, way back in the early 2000s. I actually started in like, uh, I think 1987 is when I started working at Compaq and decided to leave HP around 2010 and do my own things. Um, I did real estate, did like a electronics camp for middle schoolers and things like that. And uh, around 2013, I was uh, ready to go back uh, to HP. And I had a friend over there. He's like, hey, we got a position for you, but you should check out this Anaplan. It's, uh, it's going to be very important to your life. Um, and uh, I tried to look into it and, and I didn't, didn't know what to make of it at the time. But in uh, 2013, I was at HP and we used Anaplan as the central part of a new sales planning uh, tool and ecosystem. And then uh, later on, and um, at the end of 2014, I actually uh, joined Anaplan. That's whenever I, I started, um, you know, doing uh, solution consulting work. And then about uh, three years ago, I joined support. And about a year and a half ago, I um, was became the manager of the model performance uh, analysis team. Uh, where we do model performance analysis for our hypercare customers. And so that's that's pretty much um, my history of Anaplan in a, a nutshell. So there's a lot to unpack there. You had a, a, a pretty vast history. Can you expand a little bit on when you were at HP, kind of your experience with Anaplan? Were you a model builder? Were you an end user of the tool? Kind of what was your role there for Anaplan? Yeah, um, so, you know, Anaplan, uh, you need to be able to get the, the data into it. And then oftentimes you need to take the data out of it and do something with it. Uh, so I actually was not a model builder at the beginning of the project. And I was responsible for the system, um, or I, I worked on the system that actually got all the master data from the various HP systems, such as, uh, you know, the, the, the sales employee roster, the information about the historical sales, uh, the information about our, our comp plans, getting that data into Anaplan. And then also after all the planning process was done, getting that information out to actually generate the sales letters and the workflow related to that to um, actually implement the sales plan. So that's initially how I started. Uh, but over the course of about a year and a half, uh, we actually transitioned um, to having, I mean, because originally we had Anaplan consultants create the model. Um, and uh, the HP employees took that on 
uh, about a year and a half later. So then uh, it's at that point that I, I really started getting into the model building. As someone who was part of the HP or you said back in 2013, and now as someone who's seen Anaplan in 2022, can you talk a little bit about how far the product has come? Like, what was it like then? How is it now? Kind of what are the biggest improvements or changes that you've noticed uh, within the product? Well, the the product, especially, especially from a UI standpoint, has completely changed. Um, back when we first started using the product in 2013, uh, you could not put text on dashboards. So we would create modules just so that the module header would show up to kind of break up the dashboards. Uh, and then, you know, by uh, the end of uh, 2014, I think in 2015, um, you know, you're able to put text on dashboards. And that was a huge thing. You know, it's like, yay, <laughs> we can actually say what this grid means and what these buttons do and things like that. And then, of course, now you have the, the NUX or just the UX, I guess they're calling it now, um, which is a, a lot more comfortable, higher end. Uh, part of the product so that the user experience that has completely uh, improved and, and also the management reporting I actually worked on one project for um, uh, Chevron where uh, it was a project planning um, tool um, and uh, they wanted to actually they had these templates that they always used for PowerPoint and PowerPoint and you know the management reporting would have probably taking care of that need to actually export out the PowerPoint, just do it directly in Anaplan. So, um, and then integrations, you know, I mean, we were using the Anaplan Connect, um, uh, you know, command line interface to do all of our uh, connections, but now you got the REST API and to go and fetch individual uh, cell data um, from a grid without having to have these um, pre-saved exports. Um, and you can update individual cells. I get all the information about the list, reorder the list, so much you could do with the integration. So uh, it's 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 really um, you know advanced and improved a lot. Yeah, it's definitely fascinating. I wanted to touch on the model analysis team. What was your experience like initially in that? Because I know models have also improved in the way they perform, uh, obviously with the way best practices have come a long way. Uh, can you speak a little bit about your time on that team, what your priorities were, and, and kind of the breakthroughs we had as, as a company during that time? Uh, sure. Um, a little bit of background. So we have a hypercare service uh, that all of our enterprise customers have, where they could get four model performance analysis done per year. And then, um, you know, customers who are not enterprise could uh, sign up for hypercare and get the professional and be... Um, uh, allowed two model performances a year. And with that, uh, they can identify up to, um, I think, five model performance issues uh, that they like to have the team investigate. And we would actually go and um, put on a, a core that we're able to run debug on and actually see the chain of calculations that were um, uh, being performed. And then what the um, what the time that was taken by each of the line items and uh, in what order they were being performed and really find what was the um, where to focus the attention to try to improve um, so that's that was one of the, the key aspects uh, but another thing was just to look over the model for some best practices um, several key principles that are important 
is, you know, uh, calculate once and reference instead of calculating a whole bunch of times. And then also um, try to keep the, the number of calculations down as low as possible by making sure you have the right dimensionality. Um, but in addition to this, um, a lot of people put in very complex calculations into a cell. And any time that there's any dependency that causes that calculation to be recalculated, I mean, it has to reprocess everything. So you know, a lot of times, you know, you want to split up that calculation over multiple uh, line items. That way, you only have to recalculate just the part that needs to be recalculated as opposed to triggering a massive recalculation. I mean, as an example, we've seen a lot of models where, uh, especially I think with uh, zero-based uh, budgeting uh, models are pretty notorious for this, where you're, you're kind of doing these big, um, you know, you're adding up a whole bunch of things that you're with these big sums, right? So you're summing the stuff from your travel module and summing the stuff from your office, mo office supply module and summing the stuff from your, you know, um, uh, you know, all these different sources of spend that you want to get that total number. Um, well, when you put all that into one line item, anytime that any of that changes, it has to go and recalculate all of it and has to look across all of those different things by just breaking out those sums into their individual line items and then adding them up in the final one means that the, the triggering of that calculation happens less frequently and the cost of recalculating it uh, is reduced because you, you have all those intermediate values that didn't change, you don't have to go and recalculate. So um, kind of thinking about the model in that way can really speed it up. Um, the smaller models are not necessarily better performing than bigger models. Sometimes the way to get a better performing model is to break those out into their individual line items, which increases the size of the model and makes it way more usable and performing. That was actually going to be my follow-up question there was, is that trade-off of breaking it up into multiple line items worth, you know, the, the size increase, right? The, the performance trade-off versus the size increase. So I like that you kind of touched on that because I know that is a, I don't know, like a common, uh, you know, trade-off that perhaps you know, gets decided the other way where some model builders may want to consolidate as opposed to split. Uh, the formulas or calculations in the multiple. So I, I appreciate you diving into that. Definitely a, a challenge. Um, and a lot of other systems, you know, smaller is better. Um, but uh, when it comes to these, these big calculations, um, you know, breaking it up and having a bigger model is definitely, definitely better. You know, it's, you're essentially caching the results for these individually parts of your calculation instead of having to recalculate them all completely. Yeah, that leads me to a question when it comes to best practices. Obviously, those have grown. Do you think that was just the, the the way the tool was designed and how new it was at the time? You really didn't have the book of what works and what doesn't work. I mean, it's such a an amazing piece of software. Um, so two questions, really. Best practices over time. Did you have a hand in, in setting some of those? And if you had to pick one or two top priority best practices to follow in new model creation, what would those be? Yeah, uh, in terms of uh, best practices, uh, most of those came from the Operational Excellence Group, OEG. So um, you're talking about Rob Marshall and uh, Mark Warren and um, previously uh, David Smith, who um, you know created the original Planual. 
there, there have been some times where we found some bottlenecks um, that for new and there weren't a best practice for it that uh, we were able to find some workarounds for or definitely became uh, best practice. I think mean, well, one thing is, and there's a tendency to kind of work within one's area of knowledge and try to make that as small as possible. Uh, oftentimes you're bringing up customers who've had no previous Anaplan experience and it's easier to teach them one pattern that they could use in a whole bunch of places than, you know, kind of teaching them some alternatives that worked only in special situations. So like, for example, oftentimes with like allocations, you might want to take a value that you have at the year level and allocate it over some months using like some seasonality factor. Um, you could, you know, have a line item that tells you what the month is for each year and do a lookup using that line item. But there's also a, you know, year value method that's specifically meant for that. Uh, and and thinking in a lot of people's minds, those two are equivalent. They're definitely equivalent in, in functionality, but the difference in performance is uh, the the using the year value uh, requires 95% less calculation time than doing the the lookup. And so if you're doing that a whole bunch of places, you know you can really save uh, some time there. Yeah, so I'm sure all the uh, solution architect mess random planners out there that I know that's a common practice. You make sure to bookmark that little nugget. I think that was a nice little gem. Yeah. And uh, don't have to stop a year value. You got half year value, quarter value, month value, week value. <laughs> so so kind of going back to it, your top two best practice recommendations. If you had to only choose two when building a model, what is the most important thing to, to think about? I know we talked about large calculations, Obviously, nesting if statements uh, is a known issue. Don't do that. That's bad. But what would you say are the two most important best practices? They're really easy to say. They're very hard to do. Uh, the first one is keep it simple, right? Uh, oftentimes, um, you have to dig really deep to understand exactly what the business needs are uh, and to go and refactor that into the simplest set of calculations that you need. Um, Sometimes um, that lack of understanding just means you're building these huge um, sets of calculations to take care of all these special cases. And if you take a little bit of a step back, maybe you could refactor them to some simpler, fewer calculations. And the, the second thing is keep it short. And that could be um, in two different ways. One is formulas should be short. And then two is the interrelationship between line items should be short too. Uh, because um, there's a tendency for the model to just kind of grow and grow and grow in terms of, you know, you start adding all these reports on the the um, the end of these calculations. And then at the beginning, you add all these different ways of overriding and doing stuff. And then in the middle, you add a whole bunch of stuff too. And you may have updating one cell may re-trigger uh, actually calculating hundreds or even thousands of different line items, uh, which um, and that's going to be a real barrier to, well, first of all, just understanding what's going on and tracking it down. And then two, uh, just um, actually making sure that you're able to reduce um, the time it takes for all those updates to happen. Yeah, so kind of talking about your experience again, like how long did it take you to kind of, I don't know if enlightened is the right term or not. How long did it take you to get enlightened to all these best practices? 
what was kind of your learning curve and what at what point did you feel like okay i think i think i, I understand this in a plan platform and it's all clicking yeah uh so i got off to a bumpy start i gotta say i did the um my launch pad training i think that's what they called it where you you go through building a model and um i have an it background uh, not a finance one so the fpna example didn't help me there and anaplan uh is unlike any other tool that i've ever used and i think that's true with other people too you try to think of it excel but it's it's not a, like excel um i mean maybe that's similar in some ways you could write formulas and cells but you know just this idea of having a line item that's like a blueprint for uh, millions of, of cells is kind of a unique and it's not a database uh, so trying to think of it as a database i mean customers oftentimes you know can we just put more memory on it or put on faster hardware um you know it's like but anyway uh, coming out of launchpad i i don't think i knew anything more other than where to click than i did at the beginning of the launchpad training um and then it didn't really start to even get close to clicking until i started building models from scratch just little crazy one-off use cases like you know what if we try to create like a roster for a school and have a grade book and kind of you know uh, see who signed up for what and you know kind of have tests and that type of thing and what would the final grade be um and and it's kind of funny uh, uh i was trying to follow along what this consultant was doing and my formula was not working at all and i couldn't figure out what was up but ultimately it turned out that i had a number in the name of my line item and i didn't put the single quotes around it and oh, that was like gosh. <laughs> I, that that really baffled me for the longest time uh but uh you know after kind of thinking through that a little bit more it became uh straightforward but i honestly don't think there's a way to really um learn the tool uh deeply without starting from scratch and kind of building models for use cases that you already understand you know so you you kind of know what the end goal is so you know taken to that school example i'm assuming that was just kind of one use case that you just found naturally interesting i i wouldn't say naturally interesting uh probably more um so simple in the sense that uh, it was like intuitive you know i mean i think everybody understands the idea of signing up for classes you have tests and homework assignments and there's like some type of grade at the end you know maybe it's just because i i had two um two children that were going through that and we were so grade centric you know i i didn't actually use it for anything productive several years later though whenever my oldest son was um going to tour all the uh colleges to figure out where he wanted to apply i did create a model to try to minimize the cost of making that trip so i i had like um you know downloaded the airfares uh for various dates between all these different cities and then uh got you know the key dates of you know when you would want to be in each city and then um had the ability to kind of put together several different scenarios that if you want to you know to this city to this city to this city and and this is actually one where um you know that um what did the optimizer would have been really helpful with so i mean that's an area where uh, the the products really grown a lot more uh, than whenever it started because uh I'm sure what I I spent a couple of days uh, fiddling around with I could have had a really optimized solution uh, now 
Yeah, I kind of want to touch on that a little bit. The features that have come into the the platform since, you know, you you started back at Launchpad. Now it's... uh, the academy and learning all those trainings. I'm sure you've you've gone back through and taken the trainings, and they've progressed significantly. Um, what feature is is kind of your favorite of Anaplan? We're talking about Optimizer, the integration with DocuSign, um, all those cool little tools that we have. What's your your favorite, or maybe one you never got a chance to really master that you wish you would have had more time mastering? Yeah, I think uh, my favorite feature of Anaplan is that you could take a really advanced business user and you know you give them an account and they're able to go and actually create a model that solves their need without having to uh, explicitly create a requirements document you know send it over to some somebody to actually go and code something i mean they could what you want to do is create as as short cycles between idea implementation and testing as you can you know because the shorter that cycle you're going to be able to really fine tune your solution. And the, the best way to get the perfect solution is to have the person with the problem uh, be, you know, in control of that cycle. Um, uh, the more that you put different groups and people into to that cycle, the slower it is. And also lots of uh, difficulty in making sure the same understanding of, of what you're trying to accomplish um, happens from, from person to person. And so, my favorite feature of Anaplan is, is actually not, you know, this particular uh, feature in, in the tool, but just the fact that you could allow for a, a business person who's trying to, you know, monitor and optimize inventory costs or whatever to go and create a model that specifically meets their their need, and they don't have to wait uh, for somebody else to to actually create it for them. So. I would say that's, you know, empower the user. That's my favorite feature. Yeah, I kind of want to take it back to your training real quick. And maybe you have some tips for somebody who's new getting into Anaplan. Uh, you said you had a bumpy start. Uh, it is a little bit difficult to pick up and, and kind of use. I remember my first experience coming over with no experience in these tools at all. Uh, what would your tips be for somebody starting out new today? Would it be kind of coming up with a project that you understand to kind of break it down or, or what kind of advice do you have? Yeah, I, I think you either need to know the tool or the use case. If you don't know either one of those, it's hopeless. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, uh, since you're trying to learn the tool, honestly, you need to have a use case that you understand. So do something that's inside of your domain. Uh, or something that's trivial, you know, I mean, maybe you start out by doing the tip calculator. That seems to be the hello world of Anaplan. Okay. Kind of want to change gears here and talk about what you're currently doing. Uh, It's very, very exciting. And I also want to somehow relate what you're doing now back to the principles you learned while at Anaplan, you know, with the the attention to detail and kind of solution solution architect mindset and how that relates. Yeah. So I, actually at the moment I'm, I'm jobless, I should say. Um, I uh, was extremely happy at Anaplan. I would have liked to have stayed there for a long time. Uh, however, I have this burning passion about space exploration. I feel like that the 2020s are going to be to space what the 1990s were to the internet. And I really want to be a part of that. I'm excited about seeing 
uh, NASA sending astronauts back to the moon for the first time since 1972. Uh, and, um, you know, my son uh, brought up this opportunity that one of his friends uh, brought up to him of uh, this entry level flight controller position at NASA. And, you know, both of my kids are pretty much set. One's graduated from college. The other one, um, he's in college. Um, and it just um, seemed like now was a good time to kind of go and explore explore that. So uh, next week, actually, next Monday, I uh, start over at, uh, working at NASA at Johnson Space Center, uh, training to be a flight controller for the International Space Station. So I'll go from uh, trying to optimize people's models to uh, trying to, to make sure that there's enough uh, power on the station uh, to do all the things that uh, we, we want to do and making sure that the, uh, the external thermal control systems uh, work as they're supposed to be doing. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, well, that's, that's, uh, that's quite uh, uh, quite a uh, jump there. Very exciting. So congratulations on that new adventure. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I hope to be able to share a lot more uh, with um, people over the course of the next weeks and months and years. And, uh, you know, who knows, in a year and a half from now, after I complete my training, I could get certified to be in the front room and mission control. You might turn on NASA TV and see a familiar face. Yeah, I was I was going to say, uh, what would be the end goal, I guess, or dream position at NASA for you? Yeah, the, the ultimately, I mean, the ultimate dream goal would be to be working in mission control on the day that we have people step on the moon, you know, actually be part of that process. Uh, you know, so the, you know, where were you whenever we had uh, astronauts walk on the moon for the first time in the 21st century? And uh, I'd like to say mission control, so. That would be uh, definitely a story of a lifetime. Where were you? I was the one talking to them as they walked onto the moon. That would be pretty wild. And, you know, if anybody, I've met in my career has the opportunity to do that. I think you are that person. So I know uh, I follow your space um, discussions pretty closely, not as close as I would like, but I will be following it very closely now. I'm very excited to, to see kind of what that future holds for you. Well, thank you so much. It was uh, so good to get to talk to you all and to uh, kind of share some of my experiences, insights with my old life uh, and a plan. And I guess. Wouldn't it be so cool if, if uh, the two lives merged at some point? But who knows? Very cool. I was just thinking about that. So if Phantom Plan, you're listening, uh, want to hit up NASA, you know the guy to hit up. <laughs> Nathan Price, from optimizing models to optimizing space travel. That's a tagline right there. Well, thank you again for, for joining us, Nathan. I really appreciate it. Uh, getting to know you and, and your experience it's it's motivational, especially what you're going to do. It's very different from what you have done. And I think uh, that kind of speaks to what Anaplan is. It's kind of different than what a lot of people have done or think they can do. So, um, yeah, anything you want to share before we part? Uh, follow your dreams. Uh, you know, if you can imagine it, you can make it happen. And don't worry about how long it's going to take to make it happen. That time will pass regardless if you're working on it or not. Thank you for listening to the Best Practice Podcast. We hope you have gained a few valuable insights from our guests and hosts during this episode. If you would like to hear more best practices, be sure to subscribe and follow along so you can catch every episode as we release them to the community on a weekly basis. 